Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our service this morning. It looks like you'll all have to sing really loud without your mask on because there's not very many of us here, but we will still stand and worship God, and he will hear the worship that we have to sing to him today. looking at our shrunken congregation, I think the answer to that is sharing the gospel and getting more people to come to church. So um, one of Pastor Glenn's points is about the gospel, so that's why we chose that one, and um, sharing with other people, and then also show your power.
which sounded good, by the way. I could hear you definitely more today. Good morning. And welcome to church this morning. If you've got a copy of our bulletin, if you want to open it and read the scripture that's in there with me this morning, it's from Psalm chapter 24, verses 1 and 10. And it's the call to worship. Let's read together. The earth is the Lord's, and it all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. If you'd just like to bow with me, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you once together that we can gather together this morning as brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray that our worship of you this morning would be honoring to you. We pray that you would guide us in that as we sing, as we pray, and as we give, and as we hear from your word. We pray that we would be obedient to it. We thank you that we have Pastor Glenn who can teach and preach it to us this morning. And we just pray that you would continue to guide him as he does that. We thank you for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts 8, 1-25 On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them, they had simply been baptized in the name of Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry, because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. 
for I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Thank you, Ruth, for reading that passage for us this morning. For those of us who are here, for those of you who are here, it's great to see your faces this morning. <laughs> what a <laughs> and I thought even though we were a few, the singing was even better this morning, right? With no mouth, I thought so anyway. So uh, Good to see you all here. Thanks, Ruth, for reading that. So let's just uh, ask God to uh, open our hearts and minds and guide our thoughts as we... Uh, look into this passage. Lord God, we, uh, we just come to you uh, and we want to open our hearts and minds to what you have for us this morning. And we know this is your word to us. We know that, uh, that you speak with great power and your word is your word, your powerful word to us. As the writer of Hebrews says, it's uh, living and active and powerful and, and can point out the thoughts and intents of our hearts. And so, Lord, as we look into your word, I, I ask, Lord, that you would help us understand what it says to us. Help me to speak it the way it needs to be spoken with your truth and, Lord, with accuracy. And, Lord, that through it we all may get a special word from you this morning, knowing that you have spoken to us in, in an area, perhaps, that we need to be spoken of or spoken to. We ask this all in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In this crazy world that we live in, there seems like always some unintended or unexpected results to most everything we do, or that is done. Even things that are done with, with good intentions and have good results, uh, often they carry with them some unintended results as well. I came across some of these unintended results from the COVID pandemic. Uh, that we are hopefully walking out of. Uh, and in the face of all the dynamics around this pandemic and, uh, and the guidelines and all the controversies that it, that entailed, uh, I thought some humor about it would be good. And these jokes are jokes that came out of the middle of the lockdown. So there, some of you may have heard them already. But for the sake of starting with some humor, here goes. Unintended results. Why did the chicken cross the road? Because the chicken behind it didn't know how to socially distance properly. Two grandmothers were bragging about their precious darling grandchildren, and one of them says to the other, mine are so good at socially distancing, they won't even call me. Whose idea was it to sing happy birthday while washing your hands? Now every time I go to the bathroom, my kids expect me to walk out with a cake. <laughs> Tough crowd today. <laughs> my husband purchased a world map and then gave me a dart and said, 
throw this and wherever it lands, that's where I'm going to take you when this pandemic is over. <laughs> Turns out we're spending two weeks behind the fridge. <laughs> After years of wanting to thoroughly clean my house but lacking the time, this week I discovered that wasn't the reason. <laughs> Day 121 at home, and the dog is looking at me like, see, this is why I chew the furniture. <laughs> Enough of that. <laughs> but it seems there are always some unexpected results or unintended results, even of good things. Even when you accomplish something good, there will likely be some unintended results that come with it. In the grand scheme of this world, we as Christians know that there is nothing more desirable than the spread of the gospel. And in our series through the book of Acts, we are seeing the initial spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ as more and more people hear it and understand it and accept it. We've covered so far the first seven chapters of the book of Acts. And those chapters tell the story of thousands of people in Jerusalem come to believe the gospel, place their faith in Jesus and accept him as their Messiah, started on the day of Pentecost, and it has built from there, as we've seen going forward through the book of Acts. So far, as we've come to the end of chapter 7, so far all the gospel preaching has been in Jerusalem, and the gospel has been preached to Jews only. A mix of Jews, however, some Greek-speaking Jews who were in Jerusalem but were there from other countries, and others were the, who were the local Hebrew-speaking Jews. And... So the gospel has been preached to both of those groups. They both accepted Jesus as a Savior, or a lot of them have. They've come together to form that church in Jerusalem. But it did lead to some problems, which the apostles caught early and uh, nipped it in the bud. That was chapter 6. And the work went on. Also, there arose opposition to these new Christians and their teaching that Jesus rose from the dead. And he was the long-awaited for Messiah that the Old Testament prophets had predicted would come. Now, the Jewish leaders didn't like that teaching because they couldn't or wouldn't accept Jesus as a Messiah. So he was, in their minds, an imposter and a blasphemer. And so they started opposing and persecuting the apostles and those who preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've seen this persecution intensify. Uh, to the point of the actual stoning of Stephen, which we looked at last week in chapter 7. And Stephen became the first Christian martyr. And we looked at last week some lessons that uh, come out of that event. So moving on today to chapter 8, we are going to see that following Stephen's death, the Jewish leaders unleashed a great persecution against that church in Jerusalem. And that caused many of the Christians to leave Jerusalem, to scatter Persecution is never a good thing. But it did have the result of the gospel spreading. And this spread of the gospel carried with it some results that we perhaps wouldn't expect. And like I said, unexpected results. Spread of the gospel was a good thing and always is. But it carries with it a dynamic or some dynamics which can cause problems if it isn't handled right. It needs to, be stay, it needs to stay grounded. So let's first go through the story that is told here in the first 25 verses of Acts, which Ruth read for us. And then we'll look at 
the points of application for us. So you can follow along. We're just going to go through the story. Last week, you remember, we finished chapter 7. It was made mention that those stoning Stephen had laid their coats at the feet of a man named Saul while they did their dirty work in stoning Stephen. Chapter 8 opened with the information that this Saul was in hearty agreement with putting Stephen to death. Like the Jewish leaders, he considered Stephen a blasphemer, blasphemer and a rebel against the law and the customs of Moses and should be put to death. So then moving on in chapter 8, the day that Stephen was killed, a great persecution arose against the church there in Jerusalem. And looking down to verse 2 and 3, it gives us some details. First of all, just put in there that some devout Christians gave Stephen a proper burial. Uh, and at the same time, this man Saul, a young man whom they laid their coats at the feet of, this man Saul began ravaging the church, going on round from house to house, dragging off Christians, both men and women, throwing them in jail. So the result was, and then back to the end of verse 1, the result was that the Christians, except for the apostles, uh, scattered out from the city of Jerusalem into the outer regions of, Ju of Judea and into the province of Samaria. Now, Samaria lay just north of Judea. You have a Bible that has a bunch of maps at the back there. and Look at a map of Palestine at the time of Christ or whatever it's called. You can see that. Uh, Samaria was a province lay just north of the province of Judea where Jerusalem was. So they scattered there. Some of them went to Samaria. Uh, now you remember, hopefully... Uh, Jews and Samaritans don't get along. The Samaritans were a result of the mixing of the Jews and the Assyrians uh, about 700 odd years previous to this when Assyria conquered the 10 northern tribes of Israel and carried them into captivity and repopulated that area with people from other nationalities. So the, the pure Jews even now, 700 years later, considered the Samaritans to be half-breeds, not, not pure Jews. And also, in addition to that, the Samaritans had set up their own place for the worship of God at Mount Gerizim, as opposed to the Temple of Jerusalem. Um, so the Samaritans would worship God at this place, Mount Gerizim. Uh, that's not here, but you learn that from Jesus talking to the woman of Samaria back in John chapter 4, that they worship at Mount Gerizim. So that was also something the Jews didn't like, that they had their own place of worship there. Uh, so thus, for those reasons, there was this dislike of the Samaritans. But really, in all reality, they were Jews, and by and large had the same belief as the rest of the Jews, and were looking forward to the Messiah like the rest of the Jews were. It seems, and it's not stated here in the text, but it seems that the persecution there in Jerusalem probably was more directed toward those Greek-speaking Jewish Christians than the Hebrew-speaking Jewish Christians. The Greek-speaking Christian Jews had become, like they're from other countries, and they tended to be a little more lax about keeping the Jewish ceremonial and ritual laws than the local Hebrew-speaking Christian Jews were. So thus, they would have made the Jewish leaders a little more angry with them. So likely this persecution against the, Jew, the Christians in Jerusalem caused many of these Christians that were there from other countries to go back home. And uh, there's those that were 
of these Greek-speaking Jewish Christians that probably be a little more open to going to Samaria than the Hebrew-speaking Christian Jews would have been. So anyway, that sets us up for the gospel being spread to Samaria, as the rest of this passage tells us about. Verse 4 says that those who scattered went about preaching the word. The NIV reads, preaching the word wherever they went. I like that. That's a great example for us. We should be people who preach the word wherever we go. We're going to come back to that. Then the narrative narrows down to the ministry of a man named Philip. He was one of those Greek-speaking Jewish Christians. He, like Stephen, was one of those seven who were chosen back in chapter 6, verse 5, to take care of the distribution of food and aid to the needy among them and to make sure it was all done fairly. So Philip was one of them. Stephen was one of them. Philip was also one of those. He fled the persecution and he came to the city of Samaria, which was the capital city of the province of Samaria. So we have Samaria the city and Samaria the province. Uh, so the city of Samaria was the capital of the province of Samaria. He came to that city, began preaching the gospel there. And it says in verse 6 that multitudes were listening to what he was preaching. Very interested in what Simon was preaching. Very interested in the gospel. And as usual, at this early time, when Christianity was still in relative infancy, the message was accompanied by miraculous signs from God through the Holy Spirit, who was working through Philip. Verse 7 tells us what those signs were. Demons were being cast out of the people who were possessed by demons. The paralyzed and the lame were being healed. It was a very impressive thing that they were seeing as the power of God was at work there. These signs and wonders were given by God so Jews would recognize the truth of the gospel message that it actually was coming from him. Well, all of this very much caught the attention and the admiration of a certain man named Simon. Simon was a local magician. And apparently he could put on quite a show. He had a large following. He claimed to be someone great, and a lot of people of Samaria called him the great power of God. Now, whether his magic was just illusions, like the illusionist entertainers that we have today, or whether there was demonic or satanic power behind it, we aren't explicitly told here. The Greek word means sorcery or magical arts. And considering the stern warnings against this kind of thing in the Old Testament, uh, it makes us think that perhaps it was demonic in nature, whatever Simon was doing. But he was really impressed by the miracles that Philip was performing. And he recognized that the miracles he was seeing through Philip, they were far greater and more miraculous than anything he could do. And people were believing the gospel Philip preached, and they were accepting Jesus as the Messiah, and they were being baptized, both men and women, and that likely would have been a concern for Simon the Magician because he had a following of his own that he perhaps was losing. As people left him and became Christians. So, I guess thinking better join them than try to beat them. <laughs> Simon too professed to believe in Jesus and he was baptized. And then he followed Philip around observing the signs and great miracles that were taking place. Verse 13 tells us. Now notice there, the interest for Simon was not the gospel. It wasn't Jesus the Messiah. It was the signs and the miracles. That was what he was interested in. 
It seems he wanted to learn the secret of Philip's power so he could up his game in the magical arts. So there were many converts in Samaria under Philip's ministries. The apostles back at Jerusalem, they heard about what was going on in Samaria, and so Peter and John were sent to check it out. I take it. If it was legit, they put their blessing on it. And so Peter and John came, and they saw what was going on, and they realized this was indeed the ministry of God, and the gospel was being preached here, and people were responding and coming to know the Lord. And uh, so there was a great work of God going on in Samaria. Peter and John recognized that. And so they prayed for and over these new Samaritan Christians that they too might receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 16 tells us that this was a bit of an, an anomaly. For the Christians in Jerusalem, they received the Holy Spirit at the same time they made the choice to accept Jesus as the Messiah and place their faith in him. But these Samaritan Christians, they didn't receive the Holy Spirit at the time of conversion. That's interesting. They had to wait for Peter and John to come and pray over them and lay hands on them. And then they received the Holy Spirit. The reason for that is because God wanted to make a point to both the Samaritans and the apostles. Now remember the tension between the Jews and the Samaritans. That figures into this. The point was, that point that God needed to make, was that it needed to be obvious to all that Samaritans, too, were included in the family of God when they placed their faith in Jesus. God doesn't make any distinction between the Jews and the Samaritans. It's the same Savior, it's the same message, it's the same gift of the Holy Spirit, it's the same results. And the Samaritan Christians needed that affirmation, considering how they were, had been looked down on, on by the Jews for so many years. They needed that affirmation, that they are on the same level as the rest of the Jews and the rest of anybody. When they come to the Lord, they're all, as they place their faith in Jesus, they're all welcomed by God into God's family. And the apostles, represented here by Peter and John, they needed to see this happen. So that they too would be convinced that Jesus intended Samaritans to also be included in the family of God as they repented and accepted Jesus as the Messiah and placed their faith in him. The Samaritans received the Holy Spirit just like they did. This would be a struggle that's going to continue on in the book of Acts for a few chapters yet. <laughs> and actually, right through the end of there's going to be that struggle. Because the pure Jews, even the Christian Jews, seem to still carry with them the baggage that to really be a person of God, part of God's family, you had to become Jews. Even the Jewish Christians felt that way. So this would be a struggle. Uh, God is working in that mindset and changing it. So the apostles needed to see this. They needed to see these Samaritan Christians receive the Holy Spirit just like they did. To show that they're all equal in God's eyes. And so Peter and John were able to witness that. And so from now on, 
All Samaritans who accepted Jesus would receive the Holy Spirit upon conversion as well. Anyway, back to Simon. The text goes back here to Simon. We, he saw that happen. He saw Peter and John pray for them, lay their hands on them, and receive the Holy Spirit. Simon saw that happen. He would have been watching very closely. He saw the apostles pray and do that, and he was just blown away. He had never seen anything like that. Never seen that kind of power before. This was even greater than what Philip was doing. And so he comes to Peter with a mitt full of money and said, Give me this authority as well so that everyone who I lay my hands on will receive the Holy Spirit. And at that point, in an instant, Peter saw right through Simon. His repentance and his conversion were not sincere at all. He was just all about the sensational. The ability to amaze people with miracles and to be looked up on by the people as somehow possessing some special powers of God that nobody else had. That's all Simon was interested in. So Peter's rebuke of Simon was very strong. May your silver perish with you, he said. How dare you think that you can obtain the gift of God with money? You obviously have no part in this. Your heart isn't right with God. So Peter makes it clear that his repentance was not real. And Peter called on him, verse 22, to repent of his great wickedness. And pray that perhaps God might forgive this evil intention in his heart. Peter went on to say he was in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. There had been no true repentance in his heart. He was still under bondage to sin. Well, that really scared Simon. <laughs> and he asked Peter and John to pray for him that these bad things wouldn't happen to him. And that's the last we hear of Simon. Notice it never says he repented. <laughs> he just asked him to pray that nothing bad would happen to him. That's all he, you know, there was no real repentance there. And then Simon disappears from the from the text, we never hear from Simon again. So for Simon, it was all about the signs and the wonders and the miracles. He wanted the ability to perform those himself. And so, like I said, with that, he disappears. Verse 25 closes with the information that when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they departed Samaria and started back to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in the Samaritan towns and villages all along the way. So that's the story of this passage. Let's look at what the application is for us today. It has to do with the spread of the gospel and some things to watch for as that happens. It's good for us as Christians to be aware of the dynamic that can come with the spread of the gospel so we can keep it grounded. And the study of the examples that come out of Acts 1, well, 8 verses 1 to 25 here, and the truths behind them, will help us keep in, the, in keeping it grounded. So, three examples I just want to look at. And I uh, hope you can follow along. Struggled with it, I'll admit. I struggled as I put the sermon together. Uh, seems a little disjointed, but... Anyway, first example. An unintended result of persecution. An unintended result of persecution. We're talking about the unintended result of the spread of the gospel. But the first thing we see here in this passage is that the spread of the gospel itself can be an unintended result 
of persecution. That certainly wasn't the intention of the Jewish leaders doing the persecuting. <laughs> that certainly wasn't the intention of Saul as he ravaged the church and went house to house arresting Christians and throwing them in jail. <coughs> Their intention was in fact quite the opposite. They wanted to stop the spread of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They wanted to wipe it out. But they just caused it to spread. That's all they did. They caused it to spread. The Christians, they were all clustered there in Jerusalem, all kind of huddling together. They were having everything in common. They were caring for each other. They were learning together from the apostles' teaching. They were just enjoying the love fest they had going there in Jerusalem. They seemingly didn't really want to leave that huddled together thing that they had going. What was Jesus' command to the disciples before he ascended to heaven? We looked at it back in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Jesus said to them, You shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. So far the apostles and these new Christians had been doing a good job of being witnesses in Jerusalem. But they weren't leaving Jerusalem as Jesus had instructed them to do. And this persecution caused it to happen. That was an unintended result. Unintended by those who were doing the persecuting. But by the power of God, this persecution, God used this persecution to accomplish his intention. <laughs> that the gospel be spread out. That is always God's intention. That the gospel of Jesus Christ be spread around the world. So on the one hand, while persecution is never a good thing, on the other hand, it is something God used here to spread the gospel. And history has shown that repeatedly. Persecution has caused, throughout history, the gospel to be spread. And key to that is verse 4. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Whereas the NIV says, they preached the word wherever they went. That is the key component to the gospel being spread. That Christians, and not just the apostles or the leaders, but Christians in general, they share the gospel, they teach the gospel wherever they go. It took persecution to get them out of Jerusalem. But to their credit, they preached the gospel wherever they were scattered to. And it spread. People responded, people accepted Jesus, groups of Christians started popping up in different places. That's how God intended it to happen. And the point of application for us here today is that very principle in verse 4. Bonnie already mentioned it in your intro to one of her songs. Preach the gospel wherever you go. Friends, in the circles that we travel in, there is a group of people that we are in contact with. Regularly. Each person has their own circle of contacts that just seem to be there in your life for whatever reason. God put them there for a reason. In your life. In your circle. God's intention is for us to influence our particular circle for him. To share the gospel with them. To help them grow in their faith. 
if they are Christians, and when they become Christians, to influence and cause the kingdom of God to grow. And each of those in your circle, they have a circle of their own as well. So you can see how it, it will just spread. That's how the gospel spreads. We are to preach the word of God wherever we go. For us, in that circle that we travel in. I think sometimes we like huddling up in our churches. <laughs> I know I do. But then when we travel in our circles, we kind of hush up about our faith. Is it going to take persecution to wake us up and to scatter us? To get the gospel out and spreading? And unintended, and I mean unintended by the persecutors, unintended result of, the, of persecution is the spread of the gospel. Second example I see here is the importance of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now going back again to what Jesus said to his disciples before he left the earth, back in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Actually, no, actually back, back to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 15, I think. Where Jesus tells his disciples that he's going to go away, but he says it's better that I go so the Holy Spirit can come. And then in Acts chapter 1, he says, wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to come. And then when he comes... You will receive power and then be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the remotest parts of the earth. And so we saw that happen. Just the way Jesus said in the first seven chapters of Acts. And we continue to see that happen here in chapter 8. And it will continue to happen all throughout the rest of Acts. Jesus is now doing his work on this earth through the ministry of the Holy Spirit who is indwelling his followers. And this is for all of us as Christians from that time on through to today and until Jesus returns. We need to understand, friends, the importance of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We can't overstate that. So here in chapter 8 we see Peter and John coming to Samaria and meeting with these new converts who came to Jesus through the preaching of Philip and praying on them and laying hands on them, and they receiving the Holy Spirit. God is deliberately emphasizing here to all the importance of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. God did it in a way that would reiterate the, that importance to everyone, as I've already explained. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is vital, not only in Jerusalem, but also in Samaria, and in fact, wherever the gospel spreads to. So for us today, friends, this, this is important. The power we receive when the Holy Spirit comes upon us is the power we need to be witnesses, the witnesses God wants us to be. And we need to be dependent on the Holy Spirit for that. We need to, as, as we travel in our circles, we need to be in constant prayer as to when and how to speak the gospel so we can be by, controlled by the Holy Spirit in doing so. And then the Holy Spirit takes the word of God, the gospel, and convicts those who are hearing the truth and draws people to himself. That's how it works. The Holy Spirit does it. 
through us as we speak the word. If and when the gospel spreads through us, and we let's pray and trust that it will, in that whole process, we need to remember the importance of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit makes it happen. Let's not get sucked into trying different gimmicks or slick programming or whatever else that will give superficial results at best. It has to be grounded in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Thirdly and finally, a warning against the desire for sensationalism. A warning against the desire for sensationalism. Simon the Magician. <laughs> He's a prime example of that. He took it to an extreme. But in reality, there is something in all of us that likes the sensational and is attracted by that. For Simon, as we saw, it was all about the miracles. That was all he was interested in. He wanted to see them, and more importantly, he wanted to perform them. He wasn't convicted by his sin. He didn't seem to care that much about Jesus, the Messiah, dying for him. He didn't understand the gift of God and the grace of God, the grace that God was offering. He didn't understand it. He thought he could use money to manipulate that power. It was about the miracles, and he was dealt with very sternly by Peter for that. And I see a warning here. Most would not go to the extreme of Simon the Magician. But we like the sensational. We'd love to see some miracles every now and then. And we at times start wondering what we can do to manipulate God into doing a miracle. When Gloria was diagnosed with cancer, I wanted to see a miracle. And I had thoughts going through my head about what I could do to get God to heal her. Maybe if I prayed harder. Maybe if I got more people praying. Maybe if I, and your mind goes all kinds of ways, or my mind did anyway, etc., etc. I managed to get my mind back on track, but, but I remember those thoughts going through my head. We tend to do that. And not only just when we want something for ourselves, we just, we just like the sensational. And we try to look for ways to manipulate God into a position where he has to do something, something miraculous. Friends, when we start going in that direction, Christianity becomes something it never was intended to be. It loses its foundation, its grounding, and it goes in all kinds of whacked out directions. As the gospel spreads, God may well do some amazing things. But it will be him doing it at his time and in his way and for his purposes. God cannot be manipulated or cornered or forced or bought into anything. Let's guard against that desire for sensationalism. As I said, when the gospel spreads, there may well be some amazing works of God that will accompany it. But that can have an unintended result of feeding that desire in us for sensationalism and can move us to making it about the sensationalism 
And we need to guard against that. We need to keep things grounded in the Word of God, in the Gospel of Jesus Christ, and in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So therefore we see from this passage some truths in the examples of the story of some unintended results and how to keep the spread of the gospel grounded. First of all, there's the unintended result of persecution, which is the spread of the gospel. And then we see the importance of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the spread of the gospel and our need to depend on the Holy Spirit as we do our part. And then there's a warning there against the desire for sensationalism. We need to be spreading the gospel. We need to be preaching the word wherever we go, like it says. Again, the question came to my mind, will it take some persecution for us to get serious about it? And please, let's all of us, let's all be very deliberate in, about allowing the Holy Spirit to control us as we share the gospel with those in our circle that we travel in. And let's guard against that desire for sensationalism. So what's God saying to us here this morning? What's God saying to you? As I said, I, I feel, <laughs> as I prepared this, and even now as I preach it, sermon feels kind of disjointed. So, but, but what is God saying from this passage? What, what's he saying to me? What's he saying to you personally? We're going to take our time of silence again, and I just encourage you to open your heart to God and listen to what God is saying. What is God saying to you through this here this morning? I'll give you a few moments. Music team, please. I'm picking out songs for this sermon, um, but we we found a song, Facing a Task Unfinished, which is to the tune of the Church's One Foundation, so it's a familiar tune. Um, it has some really, really great words um, to this that I think kind of wraps it up all together. So let's stand and sing together.